0: Hello, and welcome to eSource Power Talking. I'm your host, Brian Jungers, and today I am joined by special guest, Tom Lenhard, Executive Consultant to eSource, and Baron Dronkers, Product Strategist on eSource's Customer Energy Solutions team. Today's topic is Demand-Side Management, or DSM. What is it, why do utilities invest in it, and why is it still important and relevant after all these years? Let's dig in. to Texas. When did you move to Texas?
1: Well, we have a granddaughter in Texas, and uh, we just spent about five months in Texas and the rest of the time in Spokane.
0: And then, Baron, you are up in the Great White North. You're in Alberta. Is that correct? The
2: Texas of the North.
0: (laughs) Texas of the North. Canada's Texas.
2: No joke. That's what they call Alberta. Too bad I'm sitting inside, cooped up. But I'm really excited to talk about what we're going to be talking about later.
0: Yeah. So the topic of the day, what we're going to be talking about is utility demand side management programs. This is something eSource has a long history in 30 plus years. Uh, We've been working on utility demand side management programs, and we want to talk about where they're heading, how they're evolving, why they're still relevant, but Let's just quickly level set for all of our listeners. What do we even mean when we say demand site management? Like what is that? Do you guys want to give a short definition?
1: I would say it's asking the customer to change their consumption so that we can reduce the amount of energy that we are delivering to them.
0: Yeah, there are a number of ways we could do that, right? So the classic energy efficiency approaches are using less for a given appliance also we group demand response in dsm so a customer may be called upon to reduce their load instantaneously or at a specific time so that the demand on the grid is is lower so that's generally what we mean when we talk about demand site management right why do utilities deliver dsm programs and incentives and why is it important that they do that
1: From my standpoint, one of the most important parts of DSM and delivering programs is that the utility can now give a customer something other than a bill that is a possible benefit to them. They get a better product with a lower cost of service by making a change like a light bulb to an LED or changing a furnace to something that's more efficient the customer gets to have something working better in the home and use less energy in the process.
2: Yeah. So, you know, when I think about demand site management, you asked that at the start, I think all of the thinking around DSM started probably around seventies or eighties. You had a big oil crisis. People thought we were going to run out of oil and a lot of efforts were made to really double down on energy efficiency started driving smaller cars and all that. Uh, So I I think there's like a societal aspect of this too. So DSM benefits the customer, but it's also about what can DSM do for all of us? I think there's like a big community aspect here too, because uh, insulation in a home or to improve the lighting in a home to install light bulbs and do the insulation, those all require. Jobs and like skilled workers, now that's kind of where it all started is you know this idea that with managing the demand side of the equation, we can all rally together to do it in a more affordable way for everyone while creating all those jobs
1: Baron's point is well made. it may have been a chicken egg proposition at the beginning with um d s m driving contractors work, but now we have contractors who are driving. Uh, DSMs work. So we have to give credit where credit is due and understand the economic impact and other impacts that came from demand-side management.
0: Yeah, that's great. And that brings me to my next uh, question, which is, what are the top impacts of DSM programs and DSM activities? And you know, why are those impacts uh, important? From my standpoint, I would think
1: the top uh, impacts are the social and economic impacts to the customer. Uh, There's also the economic uh, benefit to the contractors and anyone else earning on our programs. There's a societal benefit from the lowering of carbon. And I'd probably turn to Baron for some more societal impacts and other thoughts.
2: You know, I, I'm going to briefly turn into a geek. I really love the term megawatt, like the negative watt. And one of the reasons DSM is called DSM is because it's it's not a supply side resource; it's a demand side resource. And demand side resources are, generally speaking, across the board, cheaper to get at than building a new power plant. So instead of building a new power plant, so that Joe next door can plug in their EV, we can decide that you know, a bunch of folks in the community can reduce their AC load by insulating their home or air sealing their home or installing a smart thermostat to minutely adjust when those ACs turn on. And that's what we call a megawatt less power that needs to be created by a new power plant and we can do that more cheaply. I think that's an immediate impact for all consumers is that the energy that they pay for, their utility bill, we can manage that in a way and procure that power, not just by supplying new electricity to them, but by figuring out a way that we need to produce less of it to deliver the same amount to everyone.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Amory maybe coined that megawatt term back in the 70s or something like that, right? Or at least popularized it. So, this is an interesting point of supply resources, generation resources, uh, versus just managing demand side to get the same effect or get similar benefits and do it more cost effectively. Now, yeah, I've got an engineering background, and from an engineering perspective, It's pretty concrete to say, we got this generator, it generated this much power, we can measure that power output, we can ramp it up and down, we can control it, we can rely on it, and we know it's a known entity, a known resource. Energy efficiency and megawatts is this kind of more amorphous concept because... The energy savings is energy that was never used. How do you measure something that didn't happen? And this has caused what I see to be quite a complicated process of validation, evaluation, measurement and verification within this industry that's fascinating, but can be, can sometimes get to be a bit of a quagmire. And... Right now, in particular, there's a big focus on equity and how are we ensuring that the benefits of the investments that we make in DSM are equitably distributed to all our customers, that the people that are historically disadvantaged, low income, are getting their fair share of the benefits because certainly a number of DSM programs in the past have been criticized for essentially just handing out money to upper income folks that would have made the changes anyway. So this is a whole like free rider issue. So what are you guys seeing in terms of like the latest developments in M and V and equitability with, with DSM programs?
1: From the equity standpoint, I believe that uh, program delivery can impact and play a part in uh, whether or not there's equitable distribution. We found with small commercial customers that we could uh, do direct install, then they don't have to concern themselves with money or or capital, and we just use products that can pay for themselves within a couple of years. the other thing that i would have to say is we need to make sure that we expand our idea of equity as well uh midstream and upstream programs will help sometimes people get uh, our products and don't even realize that they're getting benefited from them but as we expand equity we maybe need to think more outside of socioeconomic and start looking at um whether or not the lonely and uh, isolated are helped, or even uh, the people who have memory issues and can't remember whether they paid their bill, not a money issue, it's something else. So I think we need to expand our definition of equity to do better.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not the e-source expert at affordability and making sure that the demand side management programs, utilities deliver are equitable. But what I do know and understand is that it's a big, hot topic these days, and especially to make sure that programs are delivered equitably and not necessarily equally. So I just want to point out that delivering equal programs to everyone isn't the same as delivering equitable programs to everyone. Uh, in an equal situation, everyone gets $5 for a certain measure, let's say a light bulb, which is great for someone who really needs that $5 incentive to get an LED light bulb. But someone who's living in a mansion, they're basically getting that $5 for free and they may have installed that light bulb anyways. So that gets back to Brian's point about free ridership. So if we can help utilities define and understand specifically which customers need what type of assistance, be it either through incentives, through marketing and customer engagements, communicating with customers, getting customers in the door, each type of customer needs a different approach. And I think that's what equity gets down to is, is how to do that best to make sure that the dollars that are available for demand site management are invested prudently and most cost-effectively.
0: Yeah, that's great. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned LEDs and lighting. I've been working on DSM not as long as Tom, but uh, I think 2010 when I joined eSource, I I started down this path. And my understanding and observation is that uh, commercial lighting programs have really carried a lot of portfolios in terms of the total savings for or at least they did for quite a few years in most utility territories in a lot of states, uh, provinces. And, you know, and that's still the case in some places. But what we've seen is that we call it the low hanging fruit or the easier energy savings to acquire cost effectively, maybe drying up in some places, maybe completely dried up in other places due to changing codes and standards to changes in the market. So, you know, what are we seeing in terms of the way utility DSM portfolios are changing or how the goals and targets are changing for programs to account for this vanishing of that low-hanging fruit of commercial lighting?
1: I guess I would start by saying that cost-effectiveness and the way we imagine the low-hanging fruit is going to have to change. A lot of the people who get our energy products, don't understand the value of carbon, and we need to find a way to integrate that into our cost-effective tests. Unless we change that, they won't be on board with, to help us do that. The other thing that I see happening with a lot of programs is that they copy what other programs do. Lighting looked good for Puget Sound or Southern California Edison, so I'll do that same thing. And I guess it's really good that we can transfer programs across the United States and Canada like that, but programs are developed by custom projects. And I think we need a lot more people working on custom projects so that we can garner more prescriptive programs out of those. We need to build those new programs and re-engage. The last thing I would talk about would be the fact that I'm, I don't agree that there's necessarily l- less low-hanging fruit, but our low-hanging fruit today may be an apple with a stainless steel stem. You're going to need a diagonal side cutter or a hacksaw to get them off. They're still low-hanging, but they're hard to get to and hard to work with. Customers with homes that need insulation are like this because you have to tear apart either the inside or the outside of the home to get it fixed. And there are a lot of savings that are available with that low-hanging fruit, but it's more complicated, and I'm not sure we've worked on it hard enough.
2: I just want to comment on the idea of cost-effectiveness testing, you mentioned adding in the value of carbon. So that's one element that we need to start considering when we start digging deeper or grabbing you know, the hacksaw to get more off the fruit tree. But there's many other benefits that the industry likes to call non-energy benefits, and that can be anything from positive health impacts. So, for example, induction cooking. If we can get folks installing induction stoves, uh, we can uh, reduce the costs associated with asthma and other indoor air quality-related aspects substantially. And so, if you value those benefits as part of the testing of, you know, what should we invest in in terms of demand side management we can start picking away at new low hanging fruit i should add though that but there's other technologies that are equally applicable on both the gas and electric side so the latest example is smart home stovetop hoods that essentially can help save energy, uh, even if you have a gas rain stove as well. So, there's a couple of technologies out there that I think are really exciting to look at that can help us increase the benefit side of the cost effectiveness equation. Uh, you also briefly mentioned pay for performance. I think this is like a really interesting area that we could probably spend a whole other podcast talking about, but what is neat here is that uh, I think it's kind of the next way of measuring the effectiveness of energy efficiency and, and demand site management, because there's a, a lot of technology and processes that go into advanced measurement and then verification of savings. And then paying specifically for each kilowatt or kilowatt hour uh, that is saved through a program uh, which is why it's called Pay for Performance. So I, I'm pretty pretty excited about that uh, opportunity going forward to, to get the next low-hanging fruit.
1: I think, Brian, one of the things that Barron's getting at is that when we do performance projects, we find that they generally are done when we are not sure what the savings are going to be, and they almost always come out higher than we would have thought. Probably because as engineers, we tend to be way more conservative on our calculations so that the people can get a really good return on investment. And so when we become so concerned with how much we're uh, being conservative, we probably cut out about 20% of what we could have gotten if we'd have done more performance projects.
0: That's a really great point, uh, Tom. And Your other point earlier about the need for the valuation of carbon, this is kind of tricky where we don't have a carbon price or a carbon tax, and it's not very, it's not an explicit price signal, it's carbon based. But I think you two are both very well aware that in the last few years, we've had big push for decarbonization. And along with that, there's been a lot of prioritization of electrification. And I think it's interesting, exciting. I've been working on electric vehicles for 20 years, you know, I think it's, it's all good. But the issue that I see is that some of that argument is, hey, we don't need to spend money on efficiency or DSM. Let's take their budget. Let's spend it on electrification because our 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 main objective is climate change or decarbonization. We want to, you know, everybody to use solar. We don't care how efficiently they use it. They can just be pouring solar power out the windows, and that's just fine as long as it's low carbon power. You know, what do you guys think about that? That balance between the prioritization of DSM versus electrification um, and how, how we're working out all these issues.
1: Maybe you made a mistake having three engineers on the same podcast, but it doesn't make sense to make energy on top of a building that hasn't been repaired so that it's not using as much energy as it can. It's not just an engineer. It feels that way. If I was asking a farmer in North Idaho, They'd say the same thing. I shouldn't spend money making more energy than I need just because I failed to stop the loss. So I think it brings up a point that recarbonization, decarbonization means everything we can do to reduce carbon, not just electrification. We don't have to dump everything in order to do it. That may be a cost that we can't afford. So we need to be careful how we position our opportunities. I was lucky enough to just watch a exchange on natural gas, and one of the big messages there was if we take two people with 80% furnaces that we put a 140% heat, gas heat pump in, it's the equivalent of taking one whole gas customer off the, the grid. So the more we do, the more it affects everybody regardless of what decarbonization method it is so i think we need to be open to all of those
2: i'm just going to make one small correction for those in the audience that are coming from canada we have a carbon tax that's applied to consumer gas bills and also a clean electricity standard that's in the works that aims to do the same on the electric side of things so There are some policy instruments here in Canada that are trying to value carbon. I'd say that you asked about balancing electrification against energy efficiency or demand side management, the obvious example. And I think Tom alluded to it is the heat pump, which is the quintessential electrification technology these days. Everyone's talking about it. But to do a heat pump well in a home or commercial building, small business, The first thing you want to do is grab a nice, cozy down jacket and wrap that around the building. Doing so is going to make the heat pump's job a hell of a lot more cost effective and comfortable as well. The occupants of the building, be it folks living in a house or workers working in a building, they're going to be more comfortable, more productive, and better off for it. So I I think we need both. We need to continue reducing energy consumption or shaving peaks, moving peaks around, that's called demand response. And we need to continue with our electrification journey, all for the sake of decarbonizing the system. And I think to do decarbonization well, in the past taken fairly incremental steps on an annual basis. So those are actually in a lot of places they're legislated or regulated that each utility shall produce a certain amount of uh, energy savings each year in terms of a percentage if we're going to do decarbonization well, we we really need to radically step up that game so sure carbon tax works it's not going to work everywhere it's, it's certainly working in Canada both electrification and demand side management have a huge role to play in making that
0: happen that's great so when we're nearing the end of our time I uh, really appreciate you both being on power talking with us today but Do you have any final words, uh, any suggestions for some early industry professionals or engineers working in energy DSM these days? Anything else you'd like to share? I guess one thing I would say is that uh,
1: work on your communication skills and your knowledge of the customer needs. You can't really swing a cat in in the DSM department without finding several technical people who know the technical solutions, but there are not enough people who know how to communicate with a customer and give them what they need, whether it's commercial, industrial, or residential. And I think that's really a need we have today.
2: Yeah, I really like that Tom focused on communication and sort of the soft skills. One lasting nugget that I'll leave behind here is that the reason I'm in this industry is because there are infinite challenges and complexities to the energy system, and especially demand-side management, electrification, that are very multifaceted. So it's not an engineer that can solve the problem on it their own. It's an engineer with a whole team of communicators, marketers, policy wonks, Everyone needs to come together to solve the challenges that the utility industry faces, that society faces. That's why I think it's a fascinating area to be in, and everyone should get involved in if they have the opportunity.
0: That's great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you to Tom and Baron for joining us on Power Talking today, and thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. See you next time.